0: It's time to talk BYU football. You're tuned in to the Coordinator's Corner, live from JCW's in Provo, giving you the inside scoop on BYU football from the coaches themselves, JCW's, the Burger Boys. To lead things off, let's head live to your host, the voice of the Cougars,
1: Greg Rubel. Good afternoon, Cougar Nation. Welcome inside JCW's here in Provo for our second edition of the Coordinator's Corner. We are live on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, ESPN 960 here in Utah County. And we are also on the BYU Football Facebook Live page as well. So wherever you are tuning us in... Uh, over the air or online great to have you with us my name is Greg Rubel with me is BYU's assistant head coach special teams coordinator and safeties coach Ed Lamb he's first up today coach Elisa Tuiaki defensive coordinator gets a second half hour of today's show but here we are on week two week one for all of college football because BYU coach Lamb played in what they call the uh, the week zero uh it's a 13th game situation you got to play before everybody else uh now that you've done it how is it being out there uh, in front of everybody
2: Oh it was, it was fun to get it started early, even even though it cut into our summertime a little bit. Summertime for football coaches is usually the the time that's least pressing as far as recruiting goes and so we tend to take our most vacation during the month of July. It cut into the month of month of July significantly. And it's not like we can replace that week in June because June is camps so and we have to do our camps and we have to do our evaluations and recruiting. So it cut into our vacation, but you know, football's heaven on earth and <laughs> we all enjoy it and I enjoyed getting started early and it was nice to have a game the whole slate of games is usually all the teams play in Hawaii. That's what allows you to get that week z- uh, zero game in, and so that, that's what you saw last week. What we saw
1: was BYU defeating Portland State at Lavella Bird Stadium by a final score of 20-6. to If you had to tick off a few Portland State takeaways, where would you start?
2: Uh, st- I would start with Portland State, give those guys a lot of credit. I know um, Coach Barnum personally from my years in the Big Sky. Always enjoyed talking with him casually and professionally. Uh, he's always been a true gentleman of the game. He really worked um, and, and made that team better from the moment he got there. Became a physical football team with a dominant offensive line. The thing that I think they have this year is they've got some really good defensive personnel, especially in the secondary. Corners are good. They were they were a big challenge for yeah. our guys, and I think they'll do very well in uh, in their league there in the big sky and, and every other game they play.
1: Now, as the special teams coordinator, I want to hit a couple of things that you might focus on. Uh, I thought kickoff coverage was, was very good. Uh, they averaged fewer than 13 yards per return on their returns there were some touchbacks as well which you'll take and uh, I-, I thought whether it's Corey getting into the end zone or mickelson placing you're pretty happy yeah. weren't you
2: yeah the placement by those guys was just excellent we had a couple of times where The uh, we're looking for 4.0 plus on hang time and the ball somewhere between the three yard line and the goal line, placed somewhere near the numbers. And it was it was almost every time we had that kind of hang time, that kind of placement. And it really at that point it becomes a feeding frenzy for the kickoff coverage guys to get off blocks and race to be the first guy in on the tackle.
1: So what are your feelings on touchbacks then?
2: Oh, we give no quarter. We ask no quarter. We did, not, we did not offer them the ball in the end zone. In fact, the one where we had it, uh, we, there was. A, I don't know if you had noticed, but there was a little bit of wind that picked up from the south. And so my coaching to Corey was, you know, put a little more on this one, and, and the wind should hang it up for us. But let's not have it land on the 10- or 11-yard line. And, uh, and he did. He did exactly what I asked him to do. The wind just died down for a moment, and the ball ended up in the end zone. But we don't want to kick it in the end zone very often. We want to give our chance, our guys a chance to go down and cover. They do it very well.
1: Because when you did give Portland State a chance to cover, they weren't getting to the 20.
2: That's right. Yeah, we were getting them inside the 15-yard line twice, and uh, that's, a, that's a big field position advantage. We are not in the game of football to uh, you know, to, to not take risk, to not be aggressive. That's not Coach Satake's style. That's not my style. We want to play, play this game as aggressively as we possibly can. We want that culture to be pervasive throughout the offense, defense, special teams.
1: If you had a guy whose leg was so good that that's what he did. He was kicking it through the end zone every time. Would you say take something off it, or would you, do, or would you deal with the touchbacks every time?
2: Yeah, well, we, we do. We have those, those guys can put a touchback in every time. And it, at some point at, in my career, there's going to be a long return or, or a touchdown, and everybody's going to say, oh, dang, Lamb, he's such an idiot. Why didn't they just give him the ball in the 25? But, but over time, uh, and you see this in the NFL a lot, every one of those guys can put a touchback in. And if there's an injury situation or we're starting to get low on coverage guys or there's a rep situation on defense and guys are getting fatigued, certainly we want to put some in. Yeah. But There's times where we want to sky kick it or squib kick it and see if we can get the ball on the ground and maybe get a turnover in that situation. But our base is to put the ball somewhere between the five and the, and the goal line and go and cover and did try you, to get great field position.
1: Did you have a set rotation then on your kickoff, guys, because both Andrew and Corey did go?
2: Yes, yes, and it puts a little bit of strain on the opponent in their game planning. Uh, each of those guys have their strength, but it, but most significantly it's a right footer and a left footer. And so reading the, the kicker's approach, identifying the sky or the quib, squib kick becomes more difficult, and just setting a game plan. You know, as we're not like one of those teams that just puts the ball in the same place and kicks it to the same spot every time. We can put it multiple places and kick it all over the field.
1: So variability with your kickoff, Guy, is kind of a, a, a nice weapon to have then.
2: Right, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't recruit it. I didn't set it up, but I'm, I'm going to use it. And they're both, they're both really good at what they do.
1: Okay, when it was time to cover, Braden L. Backery. Uh, made some noise on yes, he Saturday. He had, he, had, he had a couple of just uh, fillings-rattling tackles yeah. uh, on Saturday. And uh, as, as a fullback, we know how good he is. Where did you see or when did you see that he could be a real good uh, asset to you on, on kick cover?
2: You no, know, I had him out on the backup units uh, last year. Mistake on my part. Uh, put him in uh, Michigan State game. Just one, one play, as I often do. I'll kind of take a look. and Who's starting on offense or defense and covering kicks for us? And uh, as the game goes along, can we move can we a guy in? I got him in in that situation, and he went down and made the play. One One rep, one tackle. And so he played uh, more significantly, not not all the time, but going into this year, I knew that he was going to be a frontline guy there on the kickoff, and he didn't disappoint. This is where we wish we had video because yeah. <laughs> on one of those, he actually beats a double team block and gets down there first and makes the tackle. Pretty spectacular.
1: What makes him uh, the ideal guy on that unit?
2: He's got the blend of uh, of size and speed, all the all the tangible assets, but but most importantly, he refuses to be blocked. He's got he's got the courage. I mean, there's. You know, you and I can go out right now. We can play catch. We can throw the ball. We can catch the ball. We can punt the ball. We can do all those things. But, but the things that really only a few guys in the world can do is run full speed for 45 yards, beat the opponent, and go and actually tackle somebody in live tackle football. Have something I, left at the end to put a pop on. I ball. hope I'm yeah. not underestimating you, but my day. No, I appreciate the credit you just gave attempting me. Attempting that are yeah. done. <laughs> I mean, he he can do that. And there's you know, BYU has a lot of those guys because. They, they grow up wanting to play for the Cougars, many of them. They've got posters on their walls and getting BYU players autographs when they're young. They're, and they're, it's, they're the most privileged person in the world to run down on kickoffs for BYU. And, and there are some teams around the country where that's considered kind of a tertiary duty. And guys go out and try to be dutiful about it. But our guys have a real passion for covering kicks.
1: When Braden makes a, resou- a resounding tackle, it's obvious how he excelled in that play. When you are watching film, uh, let's say a guy who's not making the tackle, how do you... You know, what jumps out to you are the guys that you need to keep on the unit or they're doing their job really well?
2: Yeah, it's it's about block shed, you know, that part of the game from a coaching standpoint. There are, you know, there's a lot of guys as you come up through the game, uh, there's a balance for every football player defensively or coverage-wise. There's similarities, obviously, in those two phases of the game about doing your assignment but then also refusing to be blocked. And so as, as soon as I see guys going down and kind of locking up on blocks and holding their gap or their lane, so to speak, that's when we just I just have to do a good job of articulating that that's not the first priority. The first priority is to make the play on the ball. All ten guys that are covering are responsible to make the play on the ball, and they have to do it from their assignment or their lane or their gap.
1: Anybody else you want to ID who had a good day uh, coverage-wise?
2: Yes, uh, I thought Trey died did an excellent job of getting down and creating some havoc deep into the return. Some of those tackles that Braden made were because Trey was down there kind of mixing up uh, his his impact. Uh, Marvin Hefo made a tackle. Zane Anderson also had two tackles. They were both in the punt game, but he's also our safety on the, on the kickoff coverage. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt Hadley on the backside and Tanner Jacobson away from where we kick. If those guys don't do their job, they, a big one can get sprung, and they, they really do a nice job of taking care of their assignment and finding a way to get in on the pileup.
1: Okay, we hit kickoffs, hit some cover, uh, two of three on field goals. The one miss came after a make that may or may not have counted because the clock was about to expire. In fact, yeah. maybe did expire. Delay flag might have been coming had you not called timeout?
2: Yeah, it really it, it happened like this. I don't know if you noticed, but we only had ten guys on the field. So that's not, uh, first and foremost on the coach, and uh, I need to, I need to do a better job of communicating. The procedure for that is I make the first communication, or, or really Coach, Coach Satake and, and I are on the headphones together. Are we going for it, or are we going to kick a field goal? And then at that point, I need to be switching back and forth on my headset. I have one of the few headsets that go back and forth to offense and defense, and I need to communicate to the whole sideline, all of our group of coaches, that we have the field goal unit going on the field. And then that is relayed from from 10 different coaches all the way down the sideline to the players. The players relay it to each other. Um I I at the front of that line let that chain break down. I needed to be more a, be a better communicator in that situation. So back to your question, mm-hmm. 10 guys on the field. I saw that and the clock winding down at the same time. I didn't want to take the timeout, but the reality is uh, unless the officials made a egregious error, it would have not been enough guys on the line of scrimmage.
1: What happened on the miss?
2: On the on the miss it was just uh it just just pulled. You know, I think um I, Icing the kicker is a real thing. And uh, and now we've got a rep at it, and we can talk about it, and I can work with Red on it. But um, I iced our kicker for, what, for the, our first rep of the season. I iced our own kicker, and that, that's got to be on me first and foremost, get better in that area.
1: Punt efficiency, if we want to use that stat, to 80%. The four out of the five punts were either net of – 38-plus, which is a good number, and or uh, down inside the 20. And, Johnny, at least first one or two, he did a real good job placing, dropping it on the sideline.
2: They were, yeah. He dropped one out on the sideline. That's not necessarily our plan, but uh, the, with with where he's aiming, we accept that margin for error. And so he, he usually shoot, shoots for about the 7-yard line inbounds and near the sideline, and I think it ended up going out on the 9, so certainly an acceptable result and great field position for us.
1: All right, our first break on the coordinator's corner. And by the way, you can tweet questions in for Coach Lamb using the hashtag CCBYU. Hashtag CCBYU on Twitter. You are tuned to us on BYU Radio, SiriusXM 143, byuradio.org or the BYU Radio app. We're on ESPN 960 and the ESPN 960 app and on BYU Football Facebook Live. When we come back, we'll talk about what Coach Lamb saw from uh, Mo Longi and his special team's work as we continue. This is the coordinator's corner back after this.
0: You're tuned into to the Coordinator's Corner, live on the new skin BYU Sports Network. Let's head back to JCW's
1: in Provo and the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubell. Welcome back inside JCW's You're in Provo, Utah. You can find us here every Monday from 12 to 1, and two of our three coordinators will be on every week. And this week, it's Ed Lamb and Elisa Tuiaki. Coach Tuiaki with us at the bottom of the hour, BYU's Special Teams Coordinator, Assistant Head Coach, and Safety's Coach Ed Lamb is with us for the first half hour Last week, BYU 20, Portland State 6, our final. This next week, it's uh, BYU against LSU, originally scheduled for Houston, but the site of that game, of course, in, uh, in some question with the situation involving uh, flooding and Hurricane Harvey. And uh, Coach Lamb, we're just kind of assessing it and waiting for a call as it, uh, as it gets discussed and monitored, and we're kind of in a holding pattern right now.
2: Yeah, fortunately, we've got, uh, you know, as a football staff, we've got plenty of work to do way above our pay grade to worry about where the game is. I'm just concerned for the people going through the, the flooding there in Houston, and then just getting our team ready to and prepared to play wherever we play.
1: LSU's had the a uh, uh, weather involved scenario happen. I think now in three straight seasons where something in that part of the country affects where they will play or not play a game. And while uh, there was some expectation that Houston could be hit, nobody saw the severity really of of what went down uh, once the hurricane cleared its path and uh, the pictures you see the video you see is just kind of staggering and it's tough to imagine getting something together nor even the people there being concerned enough to to worry about a football game right now down there
2: yeah right i think uh, it's probably impossible for us sitting right here to even imagine you, you guess we get some pictures and we get to take a view of it and it puts things in perspective and so we're all just all just trying to focus on our job and in the times when we're talking about it there's just like i say primarily just concern for that area and those people
1: we'll talk a bit about lsu preparations for that game coming up in a bit wanted to uh finish up a little bit of a special teams discussion from last segment and i, I hinted that we would talk about mo now big mo we discovered last week would play some on special teams this year where did you put him and how did he do
2: uh, he played our field guard on uh, on PAT and field goal, and so in other words, if the ball happens to be on a hash on a field goal, then um, then he would he would go to the field, which is usually where the heavy rush comes from. So we're, we're giving him a big assignment there. I think that he will get uh, better as the season goes along. But I was also very pleased with the way he got better during the game, and and I'm I'm not saying that uh, to be critical of him, but I, there's just a reality he's he was playing the game of football for the first time in his life. And I can't imagine, other than you know, Pee Wee football, somebody stepping onto a football field and starting their first game of high school football or college football or anything like that. And and he, he started his first game at two positions. So um, there is no way to mimic the speed of the game. There's no way that we would go a live uh, field goal rush against a field goal unit at any point during training camp. It's, it is that two seconds, it's two-second play, and it is the toughest, most violent two seconds of football. You don't replicate and it. it. You you don't don't replicate it. You don't do that. Practice is meant to be controlled. The number one priority for a coach, a smart coach uh, in practice, is to get the players to the game as prepared as possible. And we just feel like from a risk-reward standpoint, you don't don't replicate that. So he had to go into the game, imagine what it's like, and then fight full speed. And he got a little better every time and a little faster and a little more aggressive.
1: It was his first ever game, and he was the first guy on the field. Big Mo brought out the U.S. flag to bring the t- team out of the tunnel on set. It was pretty cool
2: to see. Yeah, that was great. Somewhere, somebody on our coaching staff had a, a picture, whatever a, a phone on a picture is uh, called, a pic- phone pick or something anyway. Let's go with that. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, And that started to kind of um, go around our staff on some of our group techs, and I think there were a lot of guys, a lot of, you know, obviously we have a lot of Polynesian Tongan coaches, and to see, and I think those guys just took a special pride in him. Yeah. Number one, carrying out the American flag, but two, just the, what what he represents to you know a lot of their parents and grandparents to um, simulate, get over here, and be ready to go in his first game and and play a significant role. It's kind of a maybe a little microcosm for for coming over and building a, a new life and a new opportunity yeah. in a different place.
1: And Coach Tuiaki last week said, you know, the, the, the pace of progression to where he's a real contributor, maybe regularly on defense, may be a season or two, but there's confidence that he's going to be a player for you, not just a novelty.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, he has, has so much to learn. In fact, one of the players um, that I coached at Southern Utah was at practice this morning, and he came straight. We recruited him straight from the Tongan uh, National Rugby programs. named name Fuku and uh, he, after the game, texted me about how proud he was seeing Mo out there, and asked if he could come to practice just to talk to him. And for Shione, the, the one of the biggest um, aspects of the game that he did that he just it took him years to understand was just the speed and violence of the game. And uh, and so he wanted to come and specifically talk to Mo in their language about mm. just cutting it loose and uh, letting that aggressive instinct come out.
1: That's pretty cool. And yeah. that was just today that he did that? Yeah, he just yeah. He
2: just was over there today and at practice, and I, I had to leave just a couple of minutes before you know we broke and everything, so I didn't get a chance to see the conversation, but I appreciated him coming and doing that.
1: Now, you began the game Saturday against Portland State. Without one of your starting safeties, uh, Micah Hanneman, you got him back in the second half. This goes back to a targeting situation from the bowl game. So you started Anderson-Jacobson. How do you kind of rate those two for that first half they played together?
2: Oh, well, they they played both uh, really solid. I think um, overall on defense and with the safety group, and including Mike when when he came back in, we've got a we've got to train our eyes and footwork. I think that game uh, plan for Portland State was concise. It was it was compact. There were some times where you know uh, defensively, I think our guys got a little bored and started to freelance a little bit and renegade. That happens. We got to bring things back. It does happen, and part of it we want to encourage because games have a flavor and the opponents have uh, they have they have consistencies or tendencies as they start to go through a game plan particularly and we want to match to that but we also want to make sure that we've got our footwork our eyes our hands all in the right place all the time marvin
1: hefo got snaps for you back there how did he uh, quit himself
2: he did marvin and kamel split some time and in, yep. in, uh, well, in our rotation and yep. those guys were both uh, i considered them going into the game starters they were in our starting rotation they, they we did it by field position which is something that we'll do um, from time to time. We did it all last year with the safeties. In other words, the offense gets to a certain part of the field, and those guys go in. It's really not about me saying, oh, the, you know, the other guy needs a break. It was scripted going into the game that they would play. And so, in, in effect, they were starters in certain areas of the field, and I thought they both played really well.
1: We'll hit LSU next segment. Before we break, though, uh put on the assistant head coach cap uh, for a minute when you take a look back at that first game for a first game what was allowed what was gained uh, how, how do you come out of it
2: oh, I think um, overall we, we've got some sideline management to clean up and I think it starts with it starts with the coaches you know I thought we were just a little bit uh, you know our first time with officials impacting the game and so I think the coaches were a little bit like hey what's going on you know that we don't agree with that call we need we need to clean that up our players need to clean up the talk that we're doing more encouraging to ourselves, um, and I think that uh, that overall we got we have to find our playmakers offense, defense, and special teams, and that's really hard to do in a practice situation. And so every every game we've got to be diligent and uh, work hard as coaches about evaluating the game, finding the playmakers, and and spotlighting them.
1: All right, our last segment with Coach Lamb is coming up. If you'd like to uh, tweet in a question for Ed, use the hashtag CCBYU, hashtag CCBYU on Twitter, and we'll get to that right after this. We'll also take a look at LSU and preview the weekend's game wherever it may be played. Greg Rubel with Ed Lamb, and this is the Coordinator's Corner on BYU Radio and ESPN 960, along with BYU Football Facebook Live. Back after this.
0: Live from JCW's in Provo, this is the Coordinator's Corner on the New Skin BYU Sports Network. Now
1: let's rejoin the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Welcome back inside JCW's here in Provo for the Coordinator's Corner. Mondays, 12 to 1. We'll visit with two of BYU's three coordinators every week. This week, it's Coach Lamb and Coach Tuiaki e joining us at the bottom of the hour. BYU and LSU this Saturday, originally scheduled for Houston. The site of the game is uh, being discussed as they deal with the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey down in Houston. So, LSU defensive coordinator Dave Aranda. We're going to go back 10 years. You're the new head coach at Southern Utah. You need a defensive coordinator. Who do you call?
2: It was, it was Dave. I was always impressed with Dave. We've, we've known each other a long time. I, I started uh, coaching. I was a graduate assistant at the University of Redlands. He's a Redlands High School graduate. And he was working at that time in the in the Skyac Conference, Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, at Division three, academic oriented college football conference. So, uh, I had a great time. Delta great State experience was there. where he
1: was right before you.
2: Del- yeah, Delta State was where he was working. I think they had one of the top defenses and one of the top teams in the country. And uh, but we had kept track of each other, and and he's one of these guys that gets out and visits and does professional development with everybody that he can. He's always very detail-oriented, always really successful. And, and, yeah, so I asked him to join us, and he did.
1: Now, he did, but not for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, this was in the winter when the hire was made, and yeah. he'd really been there just a matter of days or weeks yep. when he gets a phone call. Yeah. And he's got to come and say, Ed, I hate to do this to you, yep. but and, – and there was a reason – that he felt like he needed to take that call and visit with you about it because it was kind of a special connection he had. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, he was actually it was it was one of his first few days actually working the job. You know, it, it, during that time where the coaching carousel happens, it's during the holidays and then there's the national convention, which is a dead period no recruiting. And so he had been on the job for a couple of weeks, but really it was his first couple of days out recruiting. And I think he was in was somewhere between Las Vegas and and Los Angeles, maybe like Victorville when he called and just said, "I've got I've got this opportunity at Hawaii." Um, as you, as you know, these things, sometimes they fall through. And, uh, so he was kind of asking for advice on, you know, do I wait until I actually sign a contract at Hawaii or, or do I, you know, do I keep working here with you? And I said, Hey, well, let's just do this. You go gather your names, you go recruiting, recruit for, you wear the SU, SUU shirt, but obviously you're looking for players for both Hawaii and SUU. And, uh, if you need to, if you need to go and that's better for you and your family, then, you know, just pass on the names and and get going where you need to go. I wish you luck.
1: I think he had a connection with the, with the UH coach at the time, Coach McMack, and it was. He Both he and Dave are really grateful that you took the approach you did and, and didn't make it really difficult for Dave to do what he felt he had to do in his heart, I guess. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every, every, every coach feels awkward about, you know, you... You go to some place and then leave right away. You just don't want a reputation like that. And, and I told him that uh, nobody pays attention to what's going on at Southern Utah anyway. You just, just go. <laughs> well,
1: he's been a lot of places since, and he's been really good at yeah. the places he's gone. So Dave Aranda as LSU, D.C., what, is, what what does he give you? What does he give BYU this weekend?
2: Um, he'll, he'll be prepared to have the guys playing really hard. He's done that everywhere that he's been. He studies the game. He has, he has a good balance. You know, There's a lot of guys that know a lot about football that aren't, Necessarily capable of being good coaches because it doesn't matter what we know; it matters what the players know. And Dave knows as much football as anybody that I've ever talked to, anybody that I've ever met. But he'll keep it simple. He'll have LSU playing really hard. They'll be well prepared. It'll be a great challenge for us.
1: Okay, some thumbnails maybe from the LSU scout that you've gotten already.
2: Um, well, there's anytime a team in that area of the country, there's just a lot of speed. It's uh, you know, you, I'm a as you know, we've talked about this before, but really in recruiting, I pay a lot of attention to track times. And it's amazing if you pull up, you know, for example, sub 11, 100 meters in different states and compare them. in most of those states in the South, you've got a, a really long list, multiple pages of guys that can run sub 11, 100 meter times. And so that that's reflected. You know, we all we all reflect the state where our, our school is located. We all reflect their geographic recruiting areas. So the South usually has a lot of speed on their team. and They'll play with a lot of emotion, and uh, that's how the game is played there. That's how the game is supported from a fan standpoint and so we've got to be ready for those things but we want to keep our identity and our identity is composed and physical and tough
1: experienced quarterback they'll start and dynamic running back in uh, in Darius Geis his career yards per carry average is I think north of seven right now uh Fournette gets all the press last year but he didn't play as much as Darius Geis did
2: That's right. Yeah, I think think there were some injuries or something like that that kept uh, Fournette back, and guys had his opportunity to step forward. He's an excellent back, one of the best in the country, and that's—I mean—that's really why we're in this game. Coaches, players, we want to play against the very best and see how we stack up.
1: Now, the fact that you've had the one game, and LSU is going to work through—you know, first game. situations that uh, cropped up maybe for you guys this past week is that does that give you guys any kind of edge in a game where you're going to travel somewhere to play these guys
2: we hope so i mean we hope uh, because really the disadvantage is that lsu has our, our video and they've studied what we do this year uh, like from a special team standpoint their their head coach has already gone on record as saying that uh, they've got a new special teams coordinator and he's actually an analyst he was with the saints a year ago and all of their um all of their coaches are taking part in coaching the special teams. The analysts aren't allowed to, to directly coach the players and all of their schemes are going to be different. They've closed every practice because they knew that our advantage would be we're playing game 2, their advantage would be secrecy. Yeah. And so we we have to be we have to take advantage of what we can control, which is we've played a game. We need to be more polished than they are in in our game 2 versus their game 1.
1: So it's BYU and LSU Saturday somewhere. We're going to, again, monitor and, and wait for the developments as they occur, as they figure out uh, how to, if they are going to indeed move this game uh, to an alternate venue. And then uh, we'll give you a game time as soon as we know it as well. But we do know the Cougars and the Tigers are probably going to tee it up somewhere on uh, on Saturday. Coach Satake, after the game this past weekend in our post game conversation, said he wished he could run the guys right that minute. Like, he was pretty wired about the things you wanted to get fixed and... and where did you guys, when you got back together now as a team on Monday, where were you all kind of mentally in
2: terms of getting ready for this next week? And there's an old coaching adage, it's never as good as we think and it's never as bad as we think. And so you can put that toward whatever phase of the game that you happen to be thinking about. But there's just, you know, the the, the final stats, the final score, it just so very rarely tells tells the story. And usually the difference between playing really solid uh, less than 250 yards allowed defense or really great you know 500 plus yards on offense and a bunch of points it's just a few plays and um and so we were a few need, penalties uh, it could be yeah, a few yeah. plays especially especially penalties because it can extend drives uh, uh when you're uh, defensively on the field and it can just get you can put you in really tough third down situations i think or take offense, points off the board even or take points off the board yep yeah. on me uh, three, three points a hill, BYU football. Uh, we'll never live that one down.
1: Well, we've got things to uh, work on and, uh, and uh, tidy up for game two. I do. Coach says he does. The guys will. And we're all going to get after it again on Saturday as BYU and LSU. Ed, thanks as always. And I think we'll see you in a few weeks. Thank you. All right, that's Coach Lamb. This is the Coordinator's Corner on BYU Radio and ESPN 960+. plus BYU Football Facebook Live.
0: Let's head back to JCW's in Provo and the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel.
1: Coordinator's Corner continues from JCW's here in Provo, Utah. We are with you Mondays, noon to one, and we invite you to be with us or tune in on BYU Radio, ESPN 960 or BYU Football Facebook Live. I'm Greg Grubel with me, BYU Defensive Coordinator and D-line Coach Elisa Tuiaki. We thank Ed Lamb for his first half hour, and Coach Tuiaki is going to wrap it up with us to get us to one o'clock. And uh, Coach E, hello, welcome, good to see you. And we'll start with you the way we started with Ed. And we asked him if he had to come up with just a... A few takeaways to tick off from uh, from Saturday. Where do you kind of start? Um, I,
3: I'm, I'm pleased. I was really pleased after after watching film. You know, you, there there's some questions that you have when you're on the field, but uh, going back watching film, really pleased with how they played. I mean, they played hard, um, and also really really pleased with how strong they look. You know, I thought that uh, that, that was that was a big thing. I mean, we've got to we've got to tighten things up as far as alignments and assignments and. More situational football things, but um, other than that, I, I was really pleased with it.
1: We could go a lot of places here, and defensively, when you allow only six points, there's a lot of good things to talk about. So, you allow one scoring drive, 3.1 yards per play on the day, one penalty uh, for your unit. It was, we may talk about the penalty and what it did. But uh, no explosive drives, no big plays, another pick, your streak is now fourteen games and counting with a pick. those are just a few of the things that a casual observer might really like about Saturday, going a little deeper, what really impressed you
3: it, uh, you know our every every Monday we come back after we watch the film and we address it with the team. we always talk about our three goals and we try to keep it simple so we don 't have to you know i 'm not really good at memorizing a lot of different things, but really it 's try to try to get three takeaways, which we did not do. We did get. One interception, we missed a couple opportunities, but we did get uh, a couple of fourth-down stops, which we we consider big stops, which could fall under that category. But we've got to find ways to create more takeaways. But then also... We've got to try to limit them to what we consider our big plays, which are runs past 10 and, and passes past 20. Yeah. And uh, if we can keep them under 7, 7.5%, seven and, and then double that output. of total plays. of total plays. plays. Uh, yeah, so yeah. big plays. Yeah. And if we keep their big plays under 7.5%, and, and then we double the outcome of big plays on our side, which are sacks, PBUs, um, takeaways um tfls then uh, we feel pretty good about it and so we ended up with 16 percent big plays we kept them to two percent big plays and we ended up with one takeaway and two fourth down stops and so you know st- stats wise with the goals that we look yep. at really 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 happy um
1: that checks a lot of boxes there it
3: checks a lot of boxes and I, th- I think we spoke before about what what good uh you know pass defense is and i think overall as a defense when you look at things and you know i, I I think, I, th- I think it was last year we talked about sacks and, and the amount of sacks that you get and all that stuff. And we really, in our room, we don't talk about that, but we really talk more. If there were one stat that we talked about, it's uh, uh, yards per attempt. And so if we can keep them to five yards per attempt or fewer, that's really, really good defense. And, and we, uh, I think they're at like 3.7. And so, so overall, looking at the numbers and looking at how hard they played and, and the things that we can, we can make corrections are, I mean, really, really pumped up about this group.
1: There's a stat uh, called Havoc Rate, and it incorporates a lot of the things you talked about, uh, whether it's at PBUs or TFLs. And uh, last year, BYU was top 30 nationally in Havoc Rate. That is percentage of plays that end up with you doing those things, disrupting, basically. And front seven, if you take just the front seven guys alone, you were top 15 in that. And so however you want to describe it, Havoc, Disruption, Disruption. Uh, keeping teams off schedule, that's a big part of what you want to get done.
3: Right, absolutely. And so, you know, th- there's so many different stats that you can throw yeah. in there and say this one's more important than this one. But we talked about it a little bit last year in, in Coordinator's Corner where it's the final score and takeaways. And then after that, really just big plays for us and limiting big plays. And so kept, kept them from many, you know, deep balls and, and uh, you know, a couple of guys just messing up on some things where we gave up some runs. But other than that, uh, felt felt really good overall at the end of the day and they had a lot of one of the things we harped on last week with our with our uh, defense was that they had a lot of offensive linemen coming back and watching yep. last year's film they were really really good at, at running the ball uh really physical team they play, you know the power five teams that they played i thought that they played stout you know against them uh, against washington and those teams and and uh i mean i was i was really impressed with how stout our d our d line was and and, uh, you know, how how strong everybody looked. It was really good.
1: I want to get to your D-line because a lot of guys played, and and we'll see if all the guys I had on my board did play. We'll ask you that in a second. Uh, You mentioned just the one takeaway. You want to be at three, but that said, you're still plus because offense didn't turn it over, so you end up as a plus turnover margin team, and you contribute to that, and when BYU's plus in the margin, uh, Cougars are winning about 90% of those games. It's a big deal for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Most teams are really big for you.
3: Yeah, Yeah, it is, and the offense did a really good job taking care of the ball, and you know give us a chance, and you know if if, if stalled if if a drive stalls, punt it and play ball you know but um sudden sudden changes and all that stuff end up killing you a little bit, and also you know. To damper in the mood as far as uh, momentum swing with the crowd and all that and so we uh i thought the offense did a good job take care of the ball and we just got to give them the ball a few more times i think it'll equate to more points
1: well when you allow only six points on the day a lot of what you wanted to get done means it got done i mentioned one penalty and it's funny that the one penalty was a pretty big factor in the one scoring drive they had they called it a hit it's a, you know it's t- generally yeah, it iffy was. when a guy's going to the side how did you see
3: it because I, I, I it was it was i, I didn't, I didn't like think the they call. had the call yeah it, i mean it could have like it could have gone either way it was it was just one of those dits. I, I didn't think it was a good call, but, you know, you move forward and just keep going.
1: So if they don't make that call, I think it's third and six on the next down as it was. Drive extended a bit. And they just kind of, uh, uh, you know, just kind of chipped their way downfield. Ended yep. up being a 17-play drive at the end of it for yep. their touchdown.
3: Yep, it was. A, they did a good job. The The, the quarterback made phenomenal throws. Um, some timely throws we we weren't you know playing exactly where we needed to be as far as our alignments and assignments but uh, they capitalized on it and and uh, the ball found the open guys in the past game and kind of nickel and dimed us all the way up the field and um, I I think they converted three or four uh, third downs and and one or two fourth downs yeah exactly so we we just got to get out of drives and um, you know, make make plays.
1: All right, B- BYU's defensive coordinator and the D-line coach, Elisa Tuiaki, is with us. We'll come back after the break and talk about that D-line and how they played against Portland State on Saturday. We'll also address the uh, BYU-LSU situation. Nothing yet that we can share, but uh, it's being assessed, and we'll see what they end up deciding regarding uh, the venue of that game on the weekend. I'm Greg Grubel. He is Elisa Tuiaki. And this is the Coordinator's Corner, live from JCW's on BYU Radio and ESPN 960, plus BYU Football Facebook Live, back after this.
0: Live from JCW's in Provo, this is the Coordinator's Corner on the New Skin BYU Sports Network. Now let's rejoin the voice of the
1: Cougars, Greg Rubel. Welcome back inside JCW's in Provo. The coordinator's Corner continues. If you have any uh, questions on the uh, defensive side of the ball for Coach Elisa Tuiyaki, tweet them in with the hashtag CCBYU. Hashtag CCBYU on Twitter. We'll get to those between now and the top of the hour. So BYU and LSU coming up after the Cougars went over Portland State this past weekend. Uh, the game's scheduled for Houston E, but as we all know, uh, there are discussions ongoing about uh, where to play the game. It looks, gonna be, it looks to be tough be able to have it in Houston right now uh, based on everything we've seen and uh, we don't know anything yet and nor do you as coaches uh, you prepare and you hope to minimize distractions but you simply assess and, and wait for word right
3: yeah yeah well, I mean we'll I know both teams will be ready when it comes down to it and it's you know it, it's a tough deal for the city of Houston but uh, you know pray for them and hope that everything ends up and ends up uh, you know for the better in the long run for those guys
1: as you prepare for the game you're keeping tabs on the situation and the human element of it uh, it's pretty uh pretty staggering to see what they're dealing with right now yeah, uh, it was going to be a tough storm when we all knew that but even the national weather service said it was unprecedented the kind of water that put down on houston
3: yeah and that's you see some of the pictures that they put out there i mean it's unbelievable uh, brian johnson who i coached with up at utah you know he uh his wife and my wife stay in touch just through social media and he's down there she, he's down at houston now as offense coordinator yeah. and he uh, uh you know she showed me a picture of their house their car underwater and I, I think Kalani talked to bj yesterday as well it's just just rough rough a lot of families affected
1: Okay, so we will, again, continue to monitor, and as soon as we know, we'll share with you, and BYU will do a good job of getting word out officially uh, if and when things are decided uh, in that respect. So as the D-lineman coach, uh, the guys that you put on the field on Saturday, um, who stood out to you, who really impressed you, or as a group, were you just uh, pretty content?
3: I, I was really happy with all of them. You know, they all, they all uh, the interior guys, you, you like to go into a season feeling good, feeling comfortable about at least five guys. Um, you know, I think that we've got six that we can rotate. There's some guys, obviously, that are a little farther ahead than others. But in order to keep them healthy for the long run, um, you know, you always want to try to keep keep guys coming along and, and uh, keep, you know, guys that aren't as good right now just continue to develop them and, um, you know, give them opportunities to shine in games and all that stuff. And so those six, I thought, did a really good job. And there's things to clean up, but i um, really, really happy with the interior six. You know, Kyrstong, I'm sure everybody saw. Yeah. Really sticks out. I mean, he he's going to be a big time player, uh, really really soon. And so he you know he's just fo- football is new to him still. He's he's uh, really disruptive. But um, when he starts to put things together, he's not only going to be disruptive. He's going to make plays too. And so right now he's just disruptive at the line. Other people are kind of benefiting off of what he's doing. But um, you know the next level for him to take is learning the game of football and disrupting as well as making the plays. And I think he's. He's going to be a guy that uh, might only be here for a couple of years and be out, which is, which is going to be awesome for him as, if, he, if he stays healthy.
1: Now, the six you're talking about, the interior guys, uh, Handsome of Yelu, Kesni Tausinga, Tavita Munga, uh, Kairos Tonga, Solo Wolfgram, and Meti Talia Uli, they all played. Not that they were always paired, but Kairos and Tavita were on the field together a lot. Uh, you'd often see Handsome and Kesni go out at uh, Tavita and Kairos come in. Kyrus and Tavita, based on the weights they give us, that's a couple of guys combining for 675 right now.
3: Yeah, those those two are, are really, really stout. Two big, big-time D tackles. Um, you know, and Tavita, too, he's come a long way since last year. Had a really good spring ball.
1: And you were hoping, you didn't know when we talked last week that he was yeah. for sure, for sure in. You hoped to find out by midweek, and by the end of the week, he was good to go. He is
3: in, yeah. yeah. He is in, so really, really pleased with that. And he, he's worked his butt off in the weight room and, you know, got things right academically, and so... Um, you know, f- fun to see those guys in. But I, I try to really pair them up, just having an experienced guy as well as an inexperienced guy, so that, you know, if I put Solo and Kyrus in at the same time, they both stare at each other like, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> so, I try to, met has got a lot of experience, you know, I think, uh, you know, Handsome and Kesney have the most experience, and they've been the most consistent through fall camp, and so felt really good about putting them in, they did a really good job. Um, you know, Kairos is still learning football, and so to put him with Vita and Vita, very, very vocal, and and kind of tells him what to do and helps him out. Good. It's, it's good for him. So pair, pair, pair those guys up nicely.
1: Now to the ends. I want to make sure I got these guys and that they all got in. I know they did. Uh, Corbin Kofusi, uh, Sione Takitaki, of course. Sol, uh, uh, Trajan Peely, Rhett Sandlin, uh, Longi Tuifua. Uh, Tui did I hit the main guys that got in on the on the ends?
3: Yeah, yep. Okay. yep. See you, you've got uh, um, Uriah Littawa. He didn't yes. get in, but he'd, he'd end up being the, the sixth guy.
1: So, uh, Eric, on Twitter, by the way, hashtag CCBYU, hashtag CCBYU. Eric wants to know how you felt the DNs set the edge uh, against Portland State on Saturday?
3: You know, every, everything's by scheme, right? And so, you know, sometimes it's not exactly what we're asking them to do, and it just all, it depends on what we're doing. But, um, you know, there, there was a lot of big plays out there. I'll tell you what, Corbin Kaufusi is really, really good. And and uh, compared to last year, having a big off season, putting on weight and getting stronger, he's a big-time player. And so is Sean Taktaki uh, is just explosive and really, really um, disruptive. You know, and so Shone... Uh, it, once he, he he also is another guy. I mean, just continuing to learn the nuances of the game, and you know, going from outside backer to D end, it's it's a lot more considered in the trenches. And so, once he learns all those things, I mean, he he also is going to be another guy. But on our leaderboard, as far as production, Tontakaki had the most points. Just absolutely disruptive. Um, Half
1: of his tackles, I think, were for loss, and two of them were sacks on Saturday.
3: Yeah, yep, yep. And so he obviously is a a difference maker on the field for us, and so is Corbin. Um, Trajan, I was really pleased with. did a really good job. And, you know, Rhett comes in and... uh, Obviously, trust him to put him in the game right now. He's, he's still learning too, as far as tightening up his assignments. And those guys, once those guys get to the point where you know they can go back and forth, I mean, I feel really, really comfortable. Uh, Rhett Sandlin is is, uh, is strong. He's stout and physically can do it. It's just a matter of bringing him along, just you know, because he moved from outside backer yeah. as well, really, from safety to, to backer to, to DN. And uh, as those guys learn the game, there, they'll, they'll get better at it.
1: You bring up Trajan, and I'm sure you noted this last year. He didn't get a ton of reps. But he made good use of his reps. When he was in the games,
3: he would make plays. He he is he's a good player. Yep, Trajan's a good player, and trust him in there. Um, does a really good job. And you know, sometimes, it's, especially when you're going against your own team, you know, there's a. Uh, you, you you start to forget how good some of your players are. You know, they're you're going against offensive linemen. I think our offensive line is really good. I I really do. I tell Mike that all the time. He probably needs to hear something different, but I tell Mike, <laughs> you know, I've been been, you know, coaching D line, seeing some offensive linemen and see some good teams and I think that the way they're all line block and you know, it's really, really good. They they mount people up and they move move bodies. And so Trajan does a really good job. He steps in and you see him against other people. He's he he's a player that can play too.
1: So when you bring up Corbin and Sione at the end, they're not exactly bookends. They don't look a lot alike when you put them on either side. <laughs> they each have their own unique skill set. And, uh, you know, Sione is, is explosive, can get quickly into the backfield. And, and Corbin's just a handful with how long and athletic he is. Uh, that's kind of a unique combination to be able to put out there on either end, isn't it?
3: Yeah. yeah it's, it's, uh, Corbin covers a lot of ground. Um, the use of his hands really make, make him dangerous. I mean, there's nobody that can block him. He can pretty much do whatever he wants when he's playing the right technique. And sonia obviously, just because of how explosive he is, he can mix it up, mix it up, and just keep offensive linemen honest and, and uh, make plays that way.
1: I hate to talk about the next level when we're in the season. We want to win a lot of games this year. But But if Corbin decides that he wants to pursue this at the next level, and whether it's right away or one more season, but he'd be eligible this year, if he decides that's what he wants to do, uh, is he going to have takers? What's going to make him good? And what would he need to work on between now and, and that time?
3: I, you know, he, he's he got to continue to work on just holding the line of scrimmage, just, just uh, uh, his his physicality, just because he's so tall, you know. And I've never coached anybody this tall. And so when you're talking about, hey, you know, work on your leverage, well, shoot, man, he's always looking down at people, and it's it's a little different. And so I think that it's got to be specific. You know, going back and watching it, I put him in a three down a lot. Um, which I don't think plays to his strength. I think that we leave him in a four down probably plays more to his strength. And so, um, you know, moving forward, just I think putting him in better situations is going to make him look better. But he covers so much ground because he's so long. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of things that he can do. do and, you'd, for you.
1: and you'd have to think that, that that pros would take a look at that size and say as long as he's that size with skill and intuition and athleticism, he's somebody you have to look at.
3: No doubt. Yeah. You, you just can't duplicate size like that. And he runs really, really well. You know, I – I underestimated the, his ability to run because I just thought, you know what, he's not turning his legs very fast, but he sure does cover ground, and, and that's really what it's about. He's he's faster than he looks. All
1: right, we'll take a break. We'll come back, and our final segment is just ahead with Coach Eli Satuiaki, BYU's D-line coach and defensive coordinator. This is the Coordinator's Corner, and we are live here at JCW's on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, ESPN 960, and BYU Football Facebook Live. We're back with more right after this.
0: You're tuned into the Coordinator's Corner live on the New Skin BYU Sports Network. Let's head back to JCW's in Provo
1: and the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubell. This is the Coordinator's Corner, hashtag CCBYU on Twitter. If you want to get questions in for the coaches, Coach Elisa Tuiaki, BYU's D coordinator and D-line coach with us in the second half hour of today's show. We had Ed Lamb with us in half hour number one. Ty Detmer gets back on the show uh, next week. We go to Twitter, and uh, Gray Pickett asks, with the loss of Kai Nakua, who do you think we still have that they, with the ability to go out and make those big interceptions? And in day one, game one... It was Zane Anderson making a pick uh, late in the game that extends BYU's interception streak now to 14 games and counting. In the last 13 years, at least, that's uh, the longest streak that BYU's had with consecutive games with a pick, and you got one late.
3: Yeah, so Zane is going to be really good. He's we, we, we see him a lot like um, you know some of these other younger, talented guys that are still kind of getting football in the nuances and mean kind of cool it was just was just really really special student of the game understood things saw spacing saw timing and all that stuff and just kind of worked it out zane is still uh, you know working at that and you know coach lamb's working real hard with him but we're excited about him he's he's a special player
1: you mentioned kai have you had any contact with him uh, since he's been in cleveland
3: you know i don't know if he has the same phone <laughs> <laughs> i texted him and uh, you know that talked to some of the other guys I, I haven't really talked to him but he's doing well He's doing well. You know, I I don't I don't follow the NFL as as closely. Um, but I just talked to the guys just ask them if they've seen him or talk to him and all that stuff yeah he's
1: and making plays, and I think he 's right now solidly in the two deep and it 's always good to see our b y u guys uh doing well at the next level and uh, you've got two patriots now with Harvey and Kyle van Noy, and then harve 's making a bunch yeah. of guys right now in the league that are doing things, which yeah, is good no, that, that
3: doesn 't surprise me at all those 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 two especially that you 've mentioned i mean harvey 's really good player, good athlete, and Kai wouldn 't surprise me at all if he's starting because he's a good player.
1: Okay, we got uh, Fletcher in the Kai, as it turns out, who uh, tweets in a question about uh, Taipei Vaca, uh, about Taipei Vaca getting in or playing this year, and the question was really O line or D line. Uh, I'd heard both. Uh, where's Taipei going to end up?
3: He, he's, he's at the O line right now. You know, we when we initially brought him in, um, we had a lot of in, we had a lot of guys that were banged up at the, the D line spots. So we just kind of put him there, just try him. Uh, he can play either way, but with uh, we recruited him originally as an offensive lineman. We have a lot of D-linemen that we signed, and so there's just not a need for him at D-line. And- um, and so we're just, you know, right now he's gaining weight, and I think the plan is to just bring him along and decide maybe three, four games in if we're going to redshirt him, but he'll be an old lineman.
1: Okay, we've talked about a lot, of, a lot of different defensive guys during our half hour. Any unsung heroes from past Saturday that maybe we haven't talked about that maybe kind of under the radar really impressed you when you looked for different things?
3: You know, Fre- Fred, we decided was the player of the game. Um, the guy well, we
1: should be talking about led the team in tackles. Haven't hit him yet, so yeah, Fred. Yeah,
3: <laughs> you know, and everybody knows Fred, Fred's a good player. Fred is a, a great kid, good player, and really, really instinctive. Um, you know, he, we, we thought that he was a guy that was a difference maker. But the other guy, um, Matt Hadley, is 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 an unbelievable athlete. And just the move from from safety to backer. I mean, there's some things that he's got to pick up playing backer, but uh, so instinctive, um, really, really good ball player, chasing things down from the backside, just. Smooth in space, you know. We're really, really happy with the move that for moving him from from safety to bow, and you know, getting Zane on the field. And so, when just, that move uh, was
1: made, then E, uh, when he went from from backer to to outside, or from safety to outside linebacker, did you know immediately? Ah, this is going to be a hit.
3: It was Mark, Coach Lamb. He's got the eye for it. You know, Coach Lamb kind of pointed out that. There's a lot of safeties in his room that he thought were good players that might be sitting and, and you know, as we looked at it and kinda of moved guys around, especially with some of the guys that got banged up in camp and giving Chaz IU a shot, you know, at the flashbacker spot to to back up Fred. I think the future of Chaz is where Fred is. No kidding. And he I mean he looks he he looks a lot like Fred as far as his movements and all that stuff.
1: What's he gonna play out eventually weight wise to be that to, to be the guy he needs to be there?
3: You know, he I, I, I don't know how big he's gonna get, but I would imagine that he'd be a two twenty you know, guy that can still cover man to man and What's play. What's he at that? right now, roughly? I don't know that.
1: <laughs> do, do, do you think he's two hundred?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think he's just a little bit over two hundred. Yeah, yeah be two hundred five, something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, but um, yeah, he. I, I think he's going to be big enough, and he's still kid. You know, just fresh out of high school, he's yeah. just a little kid, so. He'll, uh, he'll be big enough to play that spot. He's definitely physical, physical enough to play.
1: And a nice play. Uh, I think initially he's dropping into coverage, sees it, gets up, shoots in, makes tackle in the backfield Saturday. Nice yeah, play.
3: Yeah, did a really good job. And just, you know, that, that's hard to teach. We don't have individual drills where we, okay, run up and just, you know, take this guy's legs. He, he, he does all that stuff naturally.
1: Okay, we've got about 45 seconds left. So in these last 45 seconds, 30 seconds, uh, some of the LSU elements that you think you're going to really need to uh, focus on to get the result you want against the Tigers this weekend. We've
3: got the run as usual um you know there's a lot of shifts and motions you watch watch what they did last year um at Pitt with the Matt new offensive coordinator yeah. you know uh, offensive coordinator he there's a lot of shifts and motions and a lot of guys are just kind of out of position and they do a good job mixing things up and so we've got to make sure that we're sound um if we're sound i think that we've got a sh- we've got a chance we just got to be sound and make those guys earn it and stop the run and you know, Hopefully we can uh, create some big plays where we can get them in the third and long distances. I think the pass rush is coming along. They look really, really good. So.
1: All right. For Coach Elisa Tuiyaki and Ed Lamb, I'm Greg Grubel. E, thanks. This has been the Coordinator's Corner on BYU Radio, ESPN 960, and BYU Football Facebook Live. So long.